Howdy, y'all. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I am Brian Yeager. Thank you for tuning in to listen. I hope that you will listen to this whole podcast all the way through. It's going to be a little lengthy. We're going to cover a lot of scriptures, a lot of points, because the subject we're going to talk about is definitely one that a lot of people do not understand. Even uh, almost 99% of preachers I've ever talked to just seem not to get the things that we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, And that is the idea that people credit God for things that He's really not doing. They say God did something and He didn't do it. And by doing so, there's a lot of consequences, a lot of doctrines involved in it. And part of it is that people think that God is controlling everything or most things or some things and some of the answers. So we're going to talk biblically. We're going to talk logically about a rather challenging subject. Maybe you've heard people do something like this. They open their bank account and there's been a deposit from their mortgage company, from their escrow. A brother in Christ just recently told me somebody did this, said this to him. They got money credited to their checking account from their escrow account, and they say something like, oh, look at what the Lord has done for me. No, the bank gave you money back that you overpaid, but they credit God for that. Or something's on sale right when somebody needs it. You know, I, it's amazing the way God works. People will say things like this. It's amazing how God works. I needed a new pair of jeans, and today when I was at whatever store, I walked through and jeans were 50% off. Look look at the wonderful things that God has done. Or, hey, I got a credit on my water bill. Look, God's looking out for me. He knows it's tough right now. Or preachers preach things like, what I'm about to play to you is a clip from the East Side Church of Christ in Morgantown, Georgia. I don't know who the preacher is. I just found this online. Listen to what's said. How awesome our faith grows every time we see the mighty hand of God work in someone's life. Just recently, there's a couple that attends Pinball where my dad preaches at, and they've got a, a, young, a young child. He's a baby. And he came down with some disorder, some rare something or another, and his skin started coming off, and he was really in a bad, bad way. And they couldn't, they couldn't hardly figure out what was going on. And, and, of course, the church started praying for him. And the doctor immediately recognized something that uh, we found out later they had just been trained on the week before how to recognize. You see God's hand in all of this. And now the boy is healing well. He's not going to have any scars. And, and, and how awesome that is. And it bolsters our faith. This is what we're going to talk about today. The kind of things that we're talking about right now. We're going to talk about from from the scriptures, though. I need to start off with what we're not talking about. Number one, when you when you listen to preachers like we just did, the East Side Church of Christ in Morgantown, uh, Georgia. You can search that on uh, YouTube. Uh, the YouTube video that I found it was at the 16 minute uh, 35 second mark and forward. I did no editing. I didn't play with. Uh, anything at all, but but statements like that are pretty common where where people will say things and and the title of the sermon that I grabbed that from was perfectly flawed uh, was the title of the sermon if you go on YouTube and you look that up there's some other false doctrines in that but that's for another day uh, not that I'll come back to that video but the subjects definitely uh, but but sometimes people will make these statements like look at what God has done and this increases our faith you know the Bible says prove all things hold fast to that which is good. There's 
this, this man that said that can't prove that God did anything. In fact, I can prove that he didn't, and we're going to in this lesson. But I want to talk about what we're not saying, what I'm not saying in particular. I'm not saying not to give God the glory for things. You know, in Isaiah chapter 40, Old Testament passage, Isaiah's a prophet. Things have obviously changed. Right under the old law, there are not prophets walking around like Isaiah today. Uh, but the text says, lift up your eyes on high and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. I'm not trying to say don't give God the glory, the praise. He's the creator, like Isaiah pointed out, right? I mean, you can be thankful to God. You can, you can give God the credit. In Revelation 4.11, says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. That's the angels in heaven praising God. I'm not saying not to give thanks. Paul, uh, Silvanus, and Timothy writing to the saints in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and 18 said, Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, concerning you. Listen, God gets the glory for a reason, not that he's directly involved in something. I thank God for my food, not because God put it in my refrigerator or God prepared it. In fact, folks, come on, use your brain, right? Today, my wife and I went grocery shopping. We got groceries from Walmart. We came home, we prepared food, and we ate food, right? We know God's role in that. Do you? Because some people talk as though God did the grocery shopping. God put it in the refrigerator. God literally paid for it and everything else. Well, listen, back in Genesis chapter 9, after God had destroyed the earth uh, by the flood and Noah and his family is still alive, in verses 1 through 3, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fish of the sea. And to your hand, are they delivered? Do you catch that? Into your hand, or God says to man, I give you these things. It says, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. I know God's my creator, do you? But that doesn't mean he's manipulating things in my daily life. As my creator, I know he's put the food sources on this earth. And in a text dealing with prayer for food in 1 Timothy 4, 4, and 5, for every creature of God is good and nothing we refuse, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Do you understand that God set things in a natural motion? That he is not directly involved in the everyday affairs of life in this world, but he put things in motion? Again, back to the context of the earth has been flooded and Noah and his family is alive in Genesis 8.22. He made this promise. And by the way, hey, side note, those people outside here who are worried about global warming and thinking that the earth is just going to utterly fall apart, God says in Genesis 8.22, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. That's the promise of God. Why? He has set things on a natural order. And Psalm 104, 20 through 24 says, Thou makest darkness and it is night, wherein 
All the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth. They gather themselves together and lay down in their dens. Man goeth forth into his work and his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. My wife and I love at night when we go to bed and right before we're about to fall asleep, we like to watch nature shows. You know, what the psalmist said rings true today. We're watching shows in Africa about predators hunting. They're hunting at night, right? Where's man? Man's in bed, naturally. We know shift work and things of that nature have up, upended the natural order of things. Nonetheless, animals are out hunting, right? Then sun rises, they're laying down to sleep with full tummies. Why? Because God has set things in a natural motion. Listen, listen, man seems not to understand this, but even, even movies that are made for children sometimes get things right. You, you ever seen Lion King? The circle of life? That's natural. God put that in place. In Matthew 5, 45, when the Lord is talking, Jesus Christ is talking here in a, a lesson that he's delivering uh, to his disciples before the multitudes, and he's talking about uh, their, your enemies, their enemies, the enemies of his disciples. And in that context, he says that you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Now, there's an exception to that in the Bible, right? We'll talk about that here in just a moment. But my point being is God has set in order a natural pattern. Going all the way back to Genesis 8.22, when Paul and Barnabas were preaching in Acts chapter 14, uh, they were in Lystra, and after performing a miracle on a cripple, the people wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. And in part of that response, they said, nevertheless, Speaking of God, nevertheless, he left not himself without witness and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Look around. The testimony of God is there. It's amazing. You know, uh, the other night, back to my wife and I's uh, nighttime uh, thing a little bit here, uh, uh, over many years we've done this off and on, but we were watching something about the Sahara Desert. Man, what a scary place to think to find yourself in the midst of in Africa in the Sahara Desert. But there's a plant called the resurrection plant in the Sahara Desert. And this, this is what this resurrection plant does. It shrivels up and it dies. And it rolls around and it rolls around, but it contains within itself seeds. And when it rains, even though it might be years uh, in between rains, this resurrection plant takes root and drops those seeds and those seeds grow up and that plant dies uh, after it dries up, and then it does the same thing over and over again. That's why they call it the resurrection plant. It's an amazing, marvelous creation of God. It's awesome. It's wonderful. God made it to sustain itself, because that's the earth we live on, isn't it? It's wonderful. I, people often will, will say, when I've had this Bible study with people, they'll say, you're denying the power of God. No, you are. You don't recognize that God could put things in place and set them in an order to where he doesn't have to manipulate everything on a daily uh, process. I mean, even our smartest devices like computers and everything need the maintenance of man. It's why AI doesn't work, right? Because it always gets it wrong. I don't know how, how many times you've said something. I know I, I have Apple products. I say something and I'm not even talking to Siri, quote unquote, right? And Siri all of a sudden respond. Here she is right now. Listen to what I'm saying, right? And gets it all wrong. But then when I want Siri to wear like, 
hey, Siri, what's the weather going to be tomorrow? Sometimes she'll say something like, um, here, check out this website. And I look and it's some weird junk. Why? Uh, it's this or this. It needs constant software updates. It needs constant manipulation by men. The world that God has designed, this planet, mankind, is sufficient. God didn't set it in place so that it needs direct involvement on a continual basis. Now, let's test something. What's direct involvement from God look like? In the book of James, talking contextually about miraculous prayer, in James 5, 17, 18, it says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. You can go back and read the original account in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. Israel was sinning. They're following the erring ways of Ahab, who was stirred up by his wife, Jezebel. And Elijah said, he prayed to God not to let it rain on earth. That lasted for three and a half years. It didn't rain. And then a prayer undid what the prayer did. And that was God's involvement, a prophet who said, God did this. That's what it looks like. Go out and try that. Go out and try to make it rain right now or stop raining right now. You know, hmm. Wow, people get it all wrong, don't they? You know, when we look around the world today, uh, matter of fact, I was going to do this, I decided not to, but I looked online at some prayer lists uh, on church websites and their bulletins. There are people on prayer lists that were there on 2018, five years later, 2023, they're still praying for the same person for the same reason. When do you not step back and say, wait, something's not happening? Either God's asleep or we're praying for something he's not going to do, or something else. We're going to see in this lesson some things about prayer, but I'm going to hold off before I get to that. I'm just teasing your mind. I want you to make you think. I want you to understand, and I'm going to prove this right now. When God is directly involved in something, he indicates it. You're not sitting there saying the doctors were trained on something a week ago. No, 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 no. God's hands is in it. He signs it, right? So back in Psalm 103, 6 and 7, said, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. And Psalm 145, 9 through 13, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts, and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? All thy works shall praise thee. Not man, but his works. And Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. God's not going to let that doctor get his glory. Isaiah 44, 28. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shall be built, and the temple of thy foundation shall be laid. And chapter 45, 1 says, thus the Lord to his anointed desires, whose right hand I have I holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leave gates, and the gates shall not be shut. In verses 18 and 19, same chapter, for the, thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in dark places of the earth. I said not unto the seed to Jacob, Seek ye in vain. 
I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. When, when God delivered uh, Judah and Benjamin out of the hand of the Babylonian empire, it was by the hand of Cyrus. You know when God called his shot? Before Cyrus was even born. Cyrus can't take credit for this. It was God's will. When God worked directly among men, he said, here it is. I'm going to do it. You know, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, Jesus entered into a ship and his disciples followed him. There arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. His disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said to them, why are ye fearful? Call the coast guard. The coast guard will come in my name and deliver you. No, that's not what he said. That's not what he said, folks. That's not what he said. He said, why are you fearful? Oh, ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, what manner of man this is, that even the winds and the sea obey him. God's not a call the ghost card kind of guy. Well, but, but Brother Brian, you know, the church is supposed to pray for saints and so forth, so on. Well, what text are you using? And do you understand the context of that text? Uh, I had a Bible study years ago with a woman from Florida. Uh, she was here in El Paso visiting a family member. And she wanted to press me on this very point. And she says, Acts 12, 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church and of God for him. And then, you know, she sits down and looks at me and says, see, we're supposed to pray prayers like this. Well, okay, let's look at the context. Let's see if you're really going to hold that up. Let's see if you're going to understand that. And we're going to talk about more in this lesson that will help you understand this. But backing up to verse 1, now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four quadrants of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter, uh, meaning Passover here, to bring forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two shoulder, soldiers, between two shoulders, maybe, but the word there is soldiers, bound with two chains and kept keepers before the door, kept the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, uh, Arise up quickly. And the chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garments about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision." And when they were past the first and second ward, then came they on the iron gate that leads in the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, you hear that? He said, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the door, the gate of damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she saw Peter, or when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. 
And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said that it is an angel. It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go and show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. That's what the Lord at work looks like, folks. That's what it looks like. If you're going to say the Lord is answering prayers like that today, I'm going to call you this, liar. You know it. You know it. And those preachers that will get up there and say it, they know it too. But then everybody has a rebuttal, right? Because people don't like to generally study the Bible in context. They don't like to consider it like, you know, the book of Acts is 2 Theophilus. It's a second letter written to a believer named Theophilus. Luke is the first. You know, one of the problems uh, years ago, uh, I'll say I'm going back about 30 years is the Bible classes that I sat in, we would study something like the book of Acts, maybe the whole book in a month. And what would happen is they would give you review questions over like five or six chapters. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with expecting people to study and go everything on, but there just wasn't depth. I'm speaking from my experience. Maybe it's not yours, but it certainly was mine. And I'm pretty confident it's a lot of people's. Um, and, and we missed a lot. And when I would ask difficult questions, it was, the answer was like, well, you know, the secret things belong in the God that's taking Deuteronomy 29, 29, way out of context. Go read the context way out of context. And, and, and the answers just weren't there here in El Paso. We, we started studying Luke chapter nine on January 8th, January 8th of this year. We're going to finish it probably this Sunday. We spent an hour talking about it each week. First John, we started studying January 15th. We spend 90 minutes a week talking about First John, verse by verse, studying it verse by verse. We study apart from each other, then we come together and we compare thoughts and notes and discuss the scriptures. We're, we're in a study of First John in chapter 2 and verse 15. That's in-depth Bible study, not practicing the Passover. Well, practicing the Passover leaves people with a lot of details not filled in. And where preachers are able to proof text, they're able to just grab one or two verses out of context and people don't know what they're talking about. Hmm. So people do this. There are statements like, if the Lord will. Like somebody will say, I will come to your house tomorrow, Lord willing. Ask them, what do you mean by that? They say, well, James 4. And what they mean, James 4, beginning of verse 13, go now, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such city, continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, vanish the way. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. What's the point of that verse? Is it that God's going to determine whether or not I should go to somebody's house tomorrow? No, it's whether or not tomorrow comes. You know, when we look at the scriptures, Mark 13, 31 and 32 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angel of heaven, but my Father, uh, are, which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Hmm. God determines when this world ends. The point is not to boast of tomorrow, Proverbs 27 and verse 1, because you don't know what a day may bring forth. That's the point in James 4, 16. That, that boasting is evil. Like, I have control over tomorrow? 
Do you understand that if you use that phrase, that that's what you mean? Or are you thinking like so many thousands of people I've talked to on this subject matter, they have literally thought God determines where they're going to be tomorrow, that they'll say the sovereignty of God is in place. Or after you point that out, they'll say, no, Paul used that statement. I almost get irritated when people start doing this. Like, I'm going to prove something by quoting a scripture, and if you ask me about the context, I have no idea what was being talked about. Even outside of context, I don't know what's being talked about. Well, in 1 Corinthians 4.19, says, But I will come unto you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. If the Lord will. So people hinge on this, right? They hinge on this. This, this is it. This is it. Do you understand what Paul meant when he talked like that? Not just here, but in other places. Do you know that where Paul went was literally in the hands of the Lord very often. In Acts 16, for example, then came he, Paul, to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by brethren which are at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with them and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them to Crees for to keep. And they were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased number daily. Now when they had gone through Pergia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Did you hear that? Were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Holy Ghost said, no, you can't go there. Did you catch that? Is that what happens to you? You plan to go to the grocery store tomorrow? And the Holy Ghost said, nope, you're not going. It wasn't a mystery. It wasn't like Paul was determined to go to Asia, but he pulled a muscle in his leg. No. It says, uh, after they were come to Mystery, they said to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So, hey, we want to go to these over here. Nope. Spirit says no. And they, passing by Mystery, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. So is that the way it would work for you if you, if you would say, uh, if the Lord will? Is it that, uh, you know, you plan to go to Walmart tomorrow and buy some groceries and you were forbidden? And then you tried to go again the next day and you were forbidden? Then you were sleeping the next night and the Lord said, come over to here to Sam's Club or come over here to this or come over. No. What happened to Paul was come over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. That's what it looked like in Paul's life. In Acts 19.21, uh, context here uh, different, but just same point. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. He had plans that God had gave him. In Acts 20, 22, Now behold, I go bound the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. But wait. In Acts 23, 11, except he knew, if you keep reading in Acts 20, he knew that he was going to suffer in Jerusalem. Acts 23, 11, The night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified me in Jerusalem, so thou must bear witness also at Rome. From that point, through, through Acts 28, Paul is making his way to Rome. I want you to notice the direct hand of God here, okay? Since if, we're go if you're going to use this language, you better understand what you're talking about and why you're lying. In Acts 27, beginning in verse 9, 
Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and he said to them, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be will be with hurt and much damage and not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which are spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to, to winter in, the more part advised to depart then also. If by any means they might attain to Finis and their winter, which is in haven of Crete and lieth toward the south, west, and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose a tempestuous wind called the Euclodian. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up under the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, which much work, which had much work to cause to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps ungirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lighted the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, no small tempest laid on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long absence, Paul stood forth and missed them and said, Sirs, you should hearken unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be, to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as I was told me, howbeit we must cast upon a certain island. What, 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 Paul said, we read in Acts 23, 11, he had to bear witness at Rome. God says, that's his will. He's going to deliver them from shipwreck. Is that what you mean? When you make statements that you're borrowing out of the scriptures without really being aware of what they mean or what context they're in? We have to handle the scriptures right, don't we? A lot of people know 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, to study, meaning to be diligent, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. So, here it is, folks. Let's dig in a little bit deeper. I think we've already been in pretty deep water for a lot of people, but let's dig in a little bit deeper. You remember when we were reading uh, back in Genesis chapter 9 uh, earlier in this lesson where, where God said, even as the green herb, have I given you all things, Noah and his sons? Think about what God's intent has been from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 28, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and we shall hold their hands all the days of their life. No, it's not what he says. He says, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, 
and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And Psalm chapter 8 4 through 8, quoted in the book of Hebrews 2. So it's not just it's not just passed over his Old Testament. It says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visit him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. Folks, do you get that? Because a lot of times when people are talking about God, and I think a lot of it's virtue signaling, I think, you know, uh, people don't want to be boastful, and that's good. Pride and arrogance ought not be among us if we are God's people. But to recognize that you are to be humble and to pretend to be humble are two different things. There are responsibilities that we have in this earth that God has delivered in our hands, and He doesn't manipulate us or control us or take us over in these ways. In fact, even in spiritual things, there's a progression in the Bible. Uh, you know, I, I taught a lesson back in January 3rd uh, of this year. Uh, if you go back in the archives of the podcast called The Age of Miracles, maybe you go listen to that and couple it with this lesson, especially if you're being challenged by the things that we're talking herein. But even when it comes to spiritual things like the revelation of God, the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, there's a progression. There's a progression. You know, when you're reading the book of Genesis and the Lord is talking directly to Abraham, no man today is experiencing that. No man's experiencing Genesis chapter 12 or Genesis chapter 18 or Genesis chapter 22, etc. No man today is experiencing what Moses experienced with the Lord talking to him and sending him and Aaron to set the children of Israel from captivity. L ladies and gentlemen, let's be honest. Let's be logical. Have there been the parting of the seas today so that people can cross on dry ground? Have there been armies that have been told to compass a city and go round and round and round and round and round and round and then blow trumpets and shout and the walls of a city, the defenses of a city fall down? We know better, don't we? You know that's not happening. You know it's not. Why do people pretend that it is? I mean, this isn't Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, is it? The land of make-believe? Aren't we reasonable? Aren't we logical? There's a progression. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says in verse 1 and 2, God, who at sundry times and divers manners, various times, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. So here's a change. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by a son, and we may be the heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So let's think about this. Jesus was on earth, but the time that the book of Hebrews is written, he's not. So how is Jesus speaking at the time the book of Hebrews is written? In Matthew 28, there were 11 disciples in verse 16. Judas had hung himself by this time. They went into Galilee and a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, unto the 11 disciples, 
saying, All power, or in other words, all authority, is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even under them the world. He's talking to his disciples, talking to the apostles, and he says, I want you to go and preach the gospel to everyone in the world. And they miraculously had help, even before this point, when they were given what is often called the limited commission in Matthew 10, 19 through 20, says, when they should deliver you up, he's speaking to his disciples here, and Judas is alive at this point, but when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour which you speak, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. You know, I just want to take a time, just, I want you to think about something. Something that has driven me nuts. Uh, thankfully, um, when I first moved here to El Paso, we had to address this, but I haven't had to address it in a long time. But in times past, when I've been in other congregations, somebody get up to pray before the preacher gets up to preach, and they say something like, I pray, Lord, that you'll give the preacher a ready recollection of the things that he's prepared. If God was working today, the way that he did through the disciples in the first century, preachers would not have to prepare. Remember what we just read? It shall be given you that same hour what you shall speak, not ye that speak the Spirit of the Father which speaketh in you. Don't you see the change between then and now? Isn't it just logical, reasonable? I mean, I, I hate to say this, but, but I feel like this lesson, though necessary because so many people are wrong on it, shouldn't even have to be taught. You should be able to see with your eyes the difference between what you read in the Bible and what you see today. In John 16, Jesus talking to his disciples, 1 through 13, these things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. These things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But things, these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I have told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask me, whither goest thou? Because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father." And ye see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So I want you to remember what we're talking about. Let me bring it into scope for you. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, right? And times past spoken of the fathers, now by his son. How? By saying to the disciples in the world. How they speak the words of Christ is that the Holy Spirit came and guided them, not only in what Christ had taught them and bring into remembrance, but also in new revelation, things they weren't ready to hear yet, according to what Jesus said there in John 16, 12. Guiding them into all truth. Now, I want you to notice the progression. Prophets, Jesus, disciples. Other words, apostles. Yet, that was temporary too. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 16, it says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, he leadeth, he lead captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens, that he might fill all things, and gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teaching teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ, till, this tells us there's a change. There's a change again. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, that is, till we all come to one faith. You know, I want you to understand something. And it, it, if you studied the New Testament even just a little bit, you're going to know this. As soon as I bring it up, it's going to make complete sense to you. At the time Paul is writing the saints in Ephesus, the gospel is going out into the whole world, but there are still some people following the law of Moses because the gospel hadn't reached them yet. There's two systems of faith. The faith in Christ and the works of the law of Moses. The law of Moses itself. So till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftsmen, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Go read the book of Galatians some days, folks. Why were the Galatians tossed to and fro? Because the full revelation wasn't made known. It was easier then, although it seems way too easy now and there's no excuse, no reason for it, but it's easier then for people to be taken back into things like circumcision under the law of Moses and even before the law of Moses because circumcision really began with Abraham, right? Genesis chapter 17. So, but, so, so he says, By the slight of man, cunning crafts where the lie wait deceive. But speaking the truth and love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working by the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body and the edifying itself. So there's a till point here. The Spirit was given to men in the first century for a limited period of time. We're going to talk more about this in, in much more detail if you go back and listen to the Age of Miracles podcast in January 3rd of this year. But if you look back at Acts chapter 8, verse 12 through 17, says, When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Can we be reasonable for a minute? You know that's not happening today, right? Somebody's not being baptized in the Christ, and then an apostle is coming. The Qualifications of the apostles and what happened in the first century makes it impossible to duplicate the conversion example there in Acts 8, 12 through 17. Well, how do you know that? In Acts 1, remember, we go Matthew 28, there were 11 disciples. Why is that? Judas hung himself. Acts 1, 15 through 26, in those days, Peter, Peter stood up together in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake 
before concerning Judas, which was God to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Gushed out. And it was known on all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch that the field is called in their proper tongue, Alcameda, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishop, bishop, wow, butchering today, let another take. Wherefore, of these men, which hath accompanied with us all the time Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Did you hear that? Qualification of an elder. One must be a witness with us of his resurrection. They appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, whose name was Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may, may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Twelve apostles now, right? Then, as we read forward, there's another apostle added. Hmm. And 1 Corinthians 15, Paul accounts of his apostleship. And he, as he's talking about the resurrection, I'm just going to begin at verse 1. There's a key point here. Why are we turning to the resurrection chapter? I want to make a key point. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also have you received, wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I deliver unto you, first of all, which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain in this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and I am not meet to be called apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Paul was the last, the last of all the apostles. The last. There are no apostles today. And there are no men walking around as the apostles of Jesus Christ, even though false religions may claim so. They are not. So there's a progression. Apostles die. The gift of the Holy Ghost is not given any longer. Things have changed. We're going to get to this here in a moment, but, but just to be logical, you know and I know that there are not men walking in, laying hands on the sick, and the sick being immediately healed. We know that. You know that. I know that. Things have changed. What you read about in the days of Jesus and the apostles is not happening on earth. You and I know how many TikTok videos and Facebook and YouTube videos would be out there if men or women or children were general, gen, genuinely being healed. And I'm not talking about the fake holy roller junk that you see that doesn't add up or special effect videos, but there would be numerous multitudes of accounts, and there are none. That alone, folks, I, it, it really doesn't even... I'm tapping my head here because it... 
It's just reasonable. It's scriptural. It's reasonable. Because there's a progression. Paul writes a letter to Timothy. We see in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 that he's at the end of his life. So one of the things that he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things thou hast heard among me, heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The progression. Prophets, Jesus, apostles, prophets, teachers, etc. When all those offices end, Paul tells the evangelist Timothy, teach other men what has already been taught. Not new things. The things you have heard. See, an evangelist does not have authority to go and reveal new truths. 1 Corinthians 4.17 For this cause I have sent you to Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you in remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy wasn't coming given a new revelation like the apostles did. And he wasn't authorized to teach other people new things like the apostles did. There is a progression. There's a progression. Folks, please see that. You know, before I move on here, I want to keep talking about the progression for a moment. But before I move on here, I really need you to think about something. What's it make you look like if you believe you're a Christian? And I'm going to challenge you here, and I want you to hear this is out of love. If you're walking around saying things like we're talking about in this lesson, it is very likely you've been taught a multitude of false things, and we should talk. Okay? That, that point aside, if you are a Christian and you're walking around making comments like God did this or God did that, do you know what reasonable people are hearing? They're hearing a crazy person. Have you ever thought about that? Like, if you are walking down the street and somebody's just walking and turning around and saying weird things, don't you look at them like they're, they're nuts? That's the way people are looking at you. Like, man, this dude really thinks God gave him that job? This person really thinks that their escrow account being deposited into their checking account is the work of God? This person really thinks that doctors receive training a week before they met a patient because God manipulated how many things? How many things would God have to manipulate for that to happen? How many people would he overpower the minds of and the actions of? I went in and had a job interview, and because I'm a Christian, I got the job. What about the Christians that didn't get the job? We're going to talk about some principles here in just a moment, like God is not a respecter of persons. Man, these statements make him that. Yeah, they do. Think about it. Why do you think that people look at Christianity like it's nuts? Why are there so many atheists in the world? You know, um, if you tell somebody, yep, I got this new shirt from Santa Claus. He brought it to me on Christmas night. He, I don't have a chimney, but when he comes to my house, he's on the roof. He creates a chimney. He comes down the chimney that I don't have. He left presents under the tree, and lo and behold was this very expensive shirt. I'm so thankful to Santa Claus. They think you're joking, right? Unless you're a little kid whose parents lied to him 
By the way, telling your kids there's a Santa Claus is a lie. Not a good start to their life. They think you're nuts. Well, what about when you talk about God like he's Santa Claus? I want to come back now. I hope you're reasoning with me. I hope you're thinking. I hope you're thinking. I've had to think through these things in the past. I've been wrong on them. Long, long time ago. Had to think through them. Glad that I did. I want you to think about this. The faith was once delivered, Jude verse 3. Right? Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. What do we have to guide us now? New revelation? No. We live by every word of God, right? Now, when Jesus said that to Satan in Luke 4, 4, Jesus answered and says, written, the man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It was limited. Not all things were revealed. I mean, at the time Luke writes this to Theophilus in this first letter, still, things are limited. Everything's not been revealed. But even looking at when things are limited, Romans 15, 4, for whatsoever things are written aforetime, they're written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Or what Paul told Timothy. When Timothy was a child, he had the Old Testament Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 15-17, he tells Timothy that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. When Peter was nearing the end of his life, he wasn't writing to an evangelist in 2 Peter. He was writing to disciples. Let me turn in my Bible here so I don't quote or get something wrong. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that called us glory and virtue. Now, how do we get knowledge today? Through the Word of God. Fully equipped through the Word of God. By every word of God. What's that give us? All things pertaining to life and godliness. Let me ask you a question. Just thought question. Keep thinking about it as we go forward too. If God has given man dominion over the earth and all the things of the earth, and He has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, what are you asking Him for? Like, I've given you everything you need. Okay, Father, but I want more. We're going to come back to this point before we wrap up. Verse 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that's in the world through lust. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, the knowledge temperance, the temperance patience, to patience godliness, the godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins." Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am with you in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, my tabernacle, I meaning he's going to die, he's going to take off this body, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, so he knew when he was going to die, 
Verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. In chapter 3, the first two verses, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Look at the, look at the pattern. Look at the pattern. You've got the word of God now that I'm going away. Look at the pattern Peter left to these Christians. You've got the word of God. I'm going to die. The pattern Paul gives to Timothy. You've got what I've taught you. I'm going to die. What were they supposed to do with that? Keep on what had been revealed. Not, not look for new things. When it comes to the miraculous, miracles existed to confirm Acts 2.22, you men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved to God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know. I want you to think about something. Reason with me again. A man comes into a city and he says, I am the only begotten son of God, hear ye me. But you live under a law that says not to add to these words, Deuteronomy 4.2. Why would you listen to him? But then he walks over to this blind man, like in John 9, for example, who has been blind from birth, and he causes him to see again. No man has done something like this before. Wait, and it's not just that. But then a man dies. His body starts decomposing like Lazarus in John 11. He just walks up to his tomb and calls him, and he walks out. Now we know this man is from God. He's establishing the authority to speak things that Moses did not speak. We don't have to do that today. I don't have to establish my authority. I just have to appeal to the Scriptures, like I'm doing in this lesson and every other lesson I've ever taught. Just appeal to the scriptures, rightly divided, properly, without twisting them on their head. Miracles were necessary in a time when the full revelation of God wasn't given to confirm the message in the messenger. Hebrews 2, 1-4, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Confirmation. That was the purpose of miracles. But that's changed, right? We, we, we talked about that in Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, Acts 8, 12 through 17. We're going to talk about it again in here in a moment. There's a progression. Miracles have ceased. New revelation has ceased. Prophets, apostles don't exist today. Evangelists are only authorized to teach that which has already been revealed. Teaching from and explaining using the scriptures, nothing else. There's that progression. Aside from understanding the progression where God, God has shown us with things physical and spiritual. Here, I want you to do this. God says, I, I, I'm turning this over to you. I, I've given you everything you need to do it with. Let me ask you a question. As a father or a mother, isn't that what you do with your children? 
if you're not a parent, isn't that what you would be doing with your children? You know, you have X amount of years that your children live in your, under your house. You're training them up spiritually and physically. And you're trying to get them ready to go on to the world without you. To be able to live without you. You're trying to equip them to do the things that they do. So that when they go out and they get their first job, when they go out and they get their first car, at least I'll speak from a father's experience with my two children. I still have a daughter who's mentally retarded that'll be with us the rest of our physical lives and then hopefully, uh, you know, be taken care of by our children thereafter. I'm doing everything I can. Teach my children to take care of themselves. Even her, you know, mom is constantly working uh, with Taylor. Katrina's constantly working with Taylor. Teach her to take care of her own physical needs. It's like a constant process for when we're not here. That's what parents do, right? Well, that's what God has done with the earth and man upon the earth. Once you grab that, you have to understand that there are certain rules that God has put in place that the creator has of himself put in place. Like, as we brought up briefly earlier, he's not a respecter of persons. When Peter realized that the Gentiles could be saved in Acts 10, 34 and 35, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. He's made the the ground fair, right? All men have to, if you've sinned, you have to repent to be saved. You have to be converted, Acts 3.19, to be saved. That's a simplification, but the lesson isn't necessarily about conversion. God commands all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17 and verse 30. God is not a respecter of persons. He's not going to say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to go over and save this person a different way than I'm going to save this person. The Word of God is now complete. It is whole. We are, if you're lost, all going to be required to follow similar path, right? We've had other lessons recently about the difference in abilities and things like that. So there's more information to this. But God is not a respecter of persons. He's not going to open somebody's heart supernaturally apart from the Word of God so that they can be saved and then leave this person over here lost. He's not going to do it. So rule number one, he's not a respecter of persons. Rule number two, he has given man free will. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, even in the Old Testament, right? I mean, we, you should be able to see this if you just read Genesis 2 and 3, but we'll put some scriptures to it. He says to Israel, See, I've set before this day, Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, See, I've set before this day life and good and death and evil. And I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land where thou goest possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto thee this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon land whether thou passest over Jordan to possess it. I call heaven and earth the record against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. There are accounts in the Bible, like in 1 Samuel 8, where it came to pass, verse 1, Samuel was old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second, Abiah, they were judges in Beersheba. His sons walked not in the ways of... Uh, 
but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together, came to Samuel under Ramah and said, And then behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like the other nations. Well, the thing displeased Samuel. And when they said, Give us a king to judge us, Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, you notice the Lord answers him directly, right? You know, that's not happening today. Hearken unto the voice of the people and all they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. According to all their works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day where, thou, where they have forsaken me and served of the gods, so do they also unto thee. God says, they've rejected me. Why? How'd they do that? They had free will. When the apostles were preaching the first sermon to an audience after Jesus left this world, in Acts 2, 40 and 41, with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day added unto them about 3,000 souls. In Revelation 22, 14 through 7, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that may have right to the tree of life, and enter in through the gates of the city. For without are dogs, and sorcerers, whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is the thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Free will, folks. Rule number two. Rule number three. The age of spiritual gifts and miracles has ceased. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. You see, you see, folks, spiritual gifts have ceased. The miraculous age has ceased. It's why you do not see what, what the Lord told his disciples to do in Matthew 10, 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely receive, freely give. That's why you don't see that today. It's why conversions look different today. You know, in Acts 19, after they were baptized, people who had been taught the baptism of John, after they were baptized, says Paul laid his hands upon them. The Holy Ghost came on them. They spake with tongues and prophesied. All the men were about 12. That's why it looks different today. The miraculous age, the spiritual gifts have ceased. So God's not a respecter of persons. Man has free will. Spiritual gifts have ceased. The fourth rule, by God's design, these are things God put in place, not Brian Yeager, things God put in place. Ecclesiastes 9, 11, and 12, I return and saw unto the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in evil met, and as the birds that are caught in a snare, so are the sons of man snared in an evil time, when it falleth suddenly upon them. There are people that think it's not my time yet. Like God has some point in time pre-declared when and how you're going to die. Now he foreknows things, but he didn't pre-declare this is how you're going to die. So when you're out driving and a drunk driver hits you, you know, it's not God's fault. And, and folks, hearing is another one of those common sense things. A family of four gets killed in a car accident with a drunk driver. 
I have never heard someone say, that's God's fault. God did it. God determined it. When the man goes to trial, or the woman, whoever the drunk is, goes to trial, they're accused of manslaughter or whatever charges the district, eternal, uh, district attorney uh, places on them. Why is that? Because people who have brains realize a man made a sinful decision, and as a result, people suffered. People that had nothing to do with his sinful decision suffered. You know that, right? It's time and chance. That's not God sitting up in heaven and saying, well, Jesus, well, Holy Spirit, well, angels, you know what? Today's the day that I just want to see a car crash. So I'm going to get this guy drunk. And about the time that that family leaves their house, I'm going to go ahead and pull him up and put him in his vehicle and send him down the road so, slam, that family can die. Oh, come on, people. Come on, people. But when you make statements like, well, it was their time, that's what you're saying, is that God's manipulating all these things in heaven, that, that he's the puppet master, and everybody's on strings, and he's just doing it. But wait, wait, wait. People will argue back. Ah, oh, but there are scriptures that say this. Say, number one, I just gave you four rules that God's put in place that you can't overturn. And when you do it, you're twisting scriptures. Do you know how bad it is to twist scriptures? 2 Peter 3, 15 through 7, account the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him of the written unto you, as also in his other epistles, speaking those things in which some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do other scriptures and their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the errors of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. Yeah, that's truth. Don't twist scriptures. You'll be lost for it. You'll be lost for it. Folks, come on. But people want to do it anyway, right? Maybe you'll listen to this sermon and you'll take it to a preacher and you'll say, go listen to this. Man, it's giving me a lot of questions and a lot of doubts. Good, I'm hoping it does because it's the truth. But you might bring them up. Preacher might say, well, you know what? That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, if you look at Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end. See that? God is controlling things. And you know what? Maybe some of you out there will just accept that answer. Oh, okay. Because, you know what? Maybe it's a little scary to you to think that you're actually on your own. I get it. But if you're a part of a faithful congregation, you wouldn't be on your own. Just, just saying. God has put things in place, given them over to man. Bear you one another's burdens, so fill the love of Christ. Galatians 6, 2, things like that are in, are in place, folks. But God's not steering you when you go out for your drive. You know those churches out there that are getting up and praying for those that are on the highways and the byways. God, God, guard and direct them that they might return to us safely. You've heard that prayer. I've heard that prayer so many times. God's not going to wake you up if you fall asleep at the wheel. He's not. You really know that, don't you? I know it. You know it. You know it's not true, but people like to believe it anyway. Well, Jeremiah 29, 11, we'll just prove it for him. Do you know what the context in Jeremiah 29 is talking about? you know what it's talking about? Children of Israel are in Babylonian captivity. Do you remember when we were talking about a man named Cyrus in Isaiah 44, 28, and Isaiah chapter 45? And God was prophesying about Cyrus come and bringing them out. 
In Jeremiah 29, verse 1, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the resident of the elders, which were carried away captives to the priests, to the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Ah, see, not talking to you, is it? You know, there's not a scripture in the Bible that says, Dear Brian, how about your name? Not you, right? Written long before you were alive. Well, Verse 2, after Jehoiakim, the king and the queen and eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the carpenters and the smiths departed from Jerusalem by the hand of Elish, son of Shaphan and Gomorrah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent into Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon, build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat fruit of them. Take ye wives and begot sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray in the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof ye shall have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets nor your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your, their dreams which cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy false unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good words towards you and cause you to return to my place. Then's verse 11 that we just read. He's talking about bringing them out of captivity. He's not talking about you. He's not talking about me. Whatever calendar you read it on, not talking about you, not talking about me. Jeremiah 29, 11 and other passages are used out of context to give people a false hope. And then in that false hope, they carry through life and are lost because they've twisted scriptures. Well, another common one, we have a brother in Christ here. His mother one time came here to visit. She brought, with me, she brought to me a list of scriptures that somebody gave her about prayer. We went through every one of them. And I said, let's just read the context. Uh, her son and daughter-in-law, they, they could tell you this is how it went. Every time we read the context, it's miraculous. Every time. Like James 5.14. Is any among you, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Then call your doctor and get a... No, no, no. Mm -mm. Uh, oh, wait. Maybe it's anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and then let him go pick up the prescription at CVS. No, no. Mm -mm. Maybe it's... Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, then take him to the emergency room before he dies. Nope, nope, nope. It's just that. Anointing him with oil. Prayer. Miraculous. Mark 6, 13. They cast out many devils, anoint with many oil that were sick, and healed them. No hospital, no doctor, no prescription, nothing else required. If the elders of the church, or if the church praying, remember when we looked at Acts 12, and an angel came set Peter from prison? When God was involved, like we talked about earlier, we proved it through the Scriptures, my glory will I not give to another. When God was involved, it was clearly God involved. Clearly. Well, what about passages like Romans 8, 28, Brian? What, you know, Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Let me ask you a question. If you think that everything physically turns out well for somebody because they're a Christian, why was James beheaded in Acts 12, 1 and 2? Remember, we read that earlier. Why is it that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution? 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. I mean, come on, folks. Come on. You know better, don't you? What's the context talking about? What, what, what if you read the rest of Romans 8 and, and you just 
continue to read, not only is it a contrast between the spiritual and the physical in Romans 7 and 8, but you know the context shows us it's not talking about physical well-being. Romans 8, 31, what should we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not also be uh, freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's legs? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, it is not talking about you're going to be physically well. It's not talking about you're going to get a better job. It's not talking about things will work out in the end. What about people who say, yeah, but the Bible tells us to pray for wisdom. No, the Bible told them to pray for wisdom. In what context? You know, in James 1, 5, and 6. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give all things liberally and upbraideth not shall be given him. But let him ask faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers like the wave of the sea, driven with wind and tossed. You know, at the times the book of James is written, they were scattered abroad. If you look in the book of Acts, look a little bit about a history, you know, remember 2 Theophilus, Acts 8, they were scattered. Acts 8 through 11 or so, they're scattered. That's the time James is writing this epistle. It, it is very likely the first thing written to Christians in the first century. Do you know how little they knew? And they're being separated from one another, separated from the apostles. Do you know what this is calling upon? It's calling upon a spiritual gift. Well, how do you know that, Brian? Because wisdom is one of the spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 3 through 11. Remember, we've already proven spiritual gifts are going to cease. Well, listen to this. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 through 11, wherefore I give you to understand, Paul to Corinth, no man speaking by the Spirit of God called Jesus a curse. No man can say Jesus the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but the same God, which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to any man to profit with all. For one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, all things can work in the same self-same spirit, dividing every man severally as will. Yep, wisdom, spiritual gift. They're saying, pray for that spiritual gift. You don't have that ability today. I don't have that ability today. It's temporary. Oh, wait. Okay, you've answered those scriptures, but I got one for you. Matthew 21, 22. All these things, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Just let me again just use reason. If you prayed for a million dollars, is it going to drop out of the sky? Well, I, I know. You go to 1 John 5, you have to pray according to his will. You can't pray that you consume it upon your lust, James 4, 3. You know what that does? It proves that you can't ask anything you want and get it. So who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. In what context? Miraculous, Matthew 21, beginning of verse 18. In the morning, as he returned to the city, he hungered. When he saw a fig tree in the way, he came, found nothing thereon, but leaves only, said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the tree, fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said to them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith, and doubt not, you shall not do this which is done to the fig tree, but also shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, and it shall be done. That's the context, folks. 
How many preachers are out there throwing mountains around? I got some here in El Paso. Send them down. Well, if somebody's going to say, well, no, we pray the same way they did in the first century. If they did it in the first century, we can do it today. Okay, challenge. Acts 9, 30, 60, 42. There was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This one was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days she was sick and died. And when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. For as much as Lydia was come to Joppa, and disciples had heard Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him to the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with him. Peter put them all forth, kneeled down, and prayed, and turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and gave her his hand, lifted up, and when she had called the saints and widows, presented her alive, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. That's how it worked, folks. You know it doesn't work like that today. How long is your prayer list there at the congregation? How long have people been on it? How many people have just been healed instantly? Why are they still in the nursing homes? Why are they still in the hospitals? Because this doesn't happen today. Miracles have ceased. Acts 28, 8, 9, came to pass. The father of Publius lay sick of fever and bloody flux. Whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him, and he healed him. When this is done, others also, which has disease, disease in the island, came, and they were healed. Prayer, healed, done, right? There are a lot of things we keep talking about. You know, when you look back in the Old Testament, God was the judge of the people, Isaiah 3 and verse 13. If you read through uh, verse 26... He said, the men shall fall by the sword and the mighty in war. They're going to lament. They're going to mourn. You know what God has done to physical judgment? He's given it over to civil authorities. Romans 12, 17 through 13, 7. You know what he's done with spiritual judgment? He's given it over to Christians, right? In Corinth, they were suing one another in the courts of law. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. Lord said, in there among you that can judge, shouldn't it be brought before the church? Things have changed, folks. You can see that in the scriptures. People use those verses out of context. Don't let it happen. I want, I want to get to a couple more. I only have a few minutes before I run out of time on this podcast. I want you to consider something the Lord said to Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is having visions. He says, expedient for me, it's not expedient for me to, to doubtless to glory. I've got to slow down, but I've got to speed up too. Ah. He says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth such a one caught up in the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. He that was caught up in the paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such and one will I glory. Yea, of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I should not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that that he heareth of me, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that were given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Notice this. And he said unto me, this is how it worked in the first century in the miraculous age, the Lord replied to him. It wasn't, well, if God doesn't answer your prayer, the answer must be no, no. It wasn't, no, nothing left to wonder. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in thy weakness. So Paul went on to talk about how he would take pleasure in infirmities. I have a question for you. 
I have a question for you. Why does God have to be your Santa Claus? Don't you realize how much he's given you in your hands? And he said, here, run with it. He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Why don't you run with it? Why do you want more and more and more? Why do you keep asking for more and more? Isn't his grace sufficient for thee? For by grace you're saved, Ephesians 2 and verse 5. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? It's the written word of God that's to last, right? Not the miracles, not the apostles, not the prophets, not all the direct working of God, but his word. And 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Isn't that, don't you have enough, folks? Why is it that people want God to keep directly intervening? The word of God is enough. Paul told the Ephesian elders, Now, brethren, I command you, or I commend you to God, and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified, Acts 20 and verse 32. Isn't it enough? Isn't it enough? Why do people keep going to God and thinking he's going to control this world or the things of this world? Why, why keep crediting him? He's given us. And he said, look, take over. He set the world on a natural course. Many things from the beginning. And when he intervened, folks, and we could give countless more examples. When he intervened, it was very clearly him intervening. It wasn't left to the imagination. Maybe God did this or maybe God didn't. No. Sometimes people refer back to Joseph. Go read the account of Joseph. People will say, this is how the providence of God works. Joseph was a prophet from the coat of many colors all the way through the end of the book of Genesis. God revealed things to Joseph directly. These accounts that people grab out of the Bible, they're doing it out of context. They're trying to make a point that just isn't true. What's that make somebody? It makes them a liar. What happens to liars? Why is it, this lesson is important for many reasons. This is one of them. Revelation 21.8. The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth the fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We have wonderful things in existence. Great vehicles, houses. You know what they all need? They all need maintenance. Have to keep taking them to the shop. And then at some point in time, they break down. They need fixed. What God has made is wonderful. Self-maintaining. Self-maintaining. Like the resurrection plant, even in the middle of the Saharan desert. Don't be ignorant and say things that God didn't do. He stepped back. He has stepped back. Listen, on Tuesday, I want you to tune back in. I'd love you to keep listening. I have another great lesson to think about when it comes to similar things. And it's going to kind of, it's going to be different. But I, 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 I'm going to title Tuesday's podcast, The Parable of the Fireman. I strongly suggest you listen to that. But this podcast should give you some questions and it should answer many. But know this, you can call me up, 915-525-5794. You can email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net. But listen, if, if you want to really study, let's talk. If you're in a foreign country, we can Skype. We can Skype. I do that with people. We can Skype. We can talk. We can open the Bible. We can, we can study. 
You can ask me, what about this verse? What about this verse? Let me understand it. But you know, if you're honestly listening to this lesson, you know it's entirely true. Whether you want to believe it or not, it is the truth. And folks, it takes the truth to set you free, John 8, 32. What's that infer if you're not currently abiding in the truth? If you're abiding in fairy tales, made up stories of men, where men have given God the credit for something he didn't do, it means you believe the lie. You can visit my website, www.wordsoftruth.net. Got other lessons like this there too. But let me help you. This is just one of the many things that are perverted by preachers today. I, I don't know fully why. I, I won't attribute motives. Maybe some of it's ignorance. Maybe some of it's willful. I'll tell you one thing. It's not reasonable. It's just not reasonable and you know I'm right. When we look at these scriptures and we just look around, the subject gets clearer and clearer. Thank you so much for listening. I've come near the end of my time. Uh, look forward to future podcast uh, with you. If all things uh, continue in this world and I'm still alive, next podcast will be Tuesday.